Welcome to this week's edition of the Casual Shooter Podcast. This week, it's just me and Leo. Hi, everybody. We won't have the technical difficulties of Huggy, but that's okay. Maybe next week. And we have another guest. This week, it's Riley Bowman of ConcealedCarry.com. And .com. Riley, go ahead and say hello. Hello, hello. Thanks for having All me. All right. Oh, excited about this. Um, so, I don't know if you've... It sounds like you've listened to our podcast, so mm-hmm. you might have a little bit of a distinct advantage here. Mm-hmm. We usually ask the five questions uh, to get to know Riley. I've even been thinking about those, and I still don't know if I have the answer on some of them. <laughs> oh, well, good. You're challenging then. I like it. All right, so we'll start with your favorite movie. That's one that's really difficult, um, and I have thought about it quite extensively. And the problem is I just, I have so many favorite movies. But uh, recently my son and I concluded watching together the uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy, like the full on director's cut, 12 hour long thing. And uh, yeah, maybe maybe that's not some people's jam, but I think that's just a cool series. I, th- I think the whole, the whole thing I think is just, uh, I think it's exceptionally well done. I enjoy watching it. The special effects are pretty wild. Yeah. I think the multiple endings threw people off in theaters, but overall, great series. Yeah. Yeah, again, I could throw out like a dozen other movies that I think are just amazing, but that's the one I picked today. Okay. Maybe tomorrow we'll get a different answer. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Favorite book. Well, in the shooting context, I truly have to answer that one as uh, Practical Shooting Beyond Fundamentals uh, by Brian Enos. I have to. To me, it's like the shooting Bible. It's like every time I read it, there's additional information and truths that like come out of it. Uh, it, it is. It just gets deeper and deeper the more I develop myself as a shooter. So like I have read it now uh four or five times i actually just listened to the audiobook version of it all the way through again this last weekend as i was on the road traveling so um that's that's how much i enjoy that book and i, I again I, I have a whole notepad on my phone dedicated to like insights and things that pop into my brain as i read that book and and i just keep adding to that okay it's a great book yeah, I, I've heard that it's uh, very deep, and if you're just getting into shooting, it might be a little much. At the same like, time, I wish I had gotten into that book sooner than I had, um, and that's a challenging thing because I, I don't disagree. Because obviously, if you're a brand new shooter, like it's just gonna go over your head. But um, so, how to know when you're ready for the gospel that is? Brian Enos, um, I don't know the answer to that question, but probably err on the side of caution of read it sooner rather than later, because I think it'll open your eyes to some things that you might not have otherwise considered. And, you know, if you get into it, you're like, "Mm, this just isn't making sense or jiving with me, then all right, come back to it six months from now or a year from now. There you go. seems like the the better you're, and we'll get into this later, so let's not do it now, but your shooting IQ, the higher it gets, the obviously the more you're going to get from the book. Yes, I agree with that. <laughs> okay. Uh, favorite historical figure? 
another one that's challenging to answer. Um, and I've pondered this one knowing the question was going to come. So again, kind of like today might be one answer, tomorrow might be another, but um, I'm going to go with a little bit of an obscure reference. And that is a gentleman by the name of, um, oh, now and I'm drawing a, drawing a blank, uh, Chamberlain, his last name. Uh, no, uh, from Civil Neville. War history. Neville Ch- Chamberlain. Uh, no, no, hang on, hang on. I think it's Matthew. But I'm like feeling, I'm, uh, give me a second, give me a second. Joshua, geez, how could I not remember Joshua that? Joshua Chamberlain. Because th- this dude honestly is an amazing dude. There's a man by the name of Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain who was a, I believe he was a captain at the Battle of Gettysburg. I mean, he was involved in, in a few skirmishes in his career in, in the Civil War. But here's why I choose him as my uh, uh, historical figure that I'd like to you know, meet with, have lunch with, that kind of thing, is as was the case probably for a lot of men in the Civil War, this, this guy was like a professor at a college up in, I think it was Maine or New Hampshire. Yeah. And, and, and he's just like, you know, he, he joins the, the war, you know, he goes to fight. And here, he was a really phenomenal leader that men from his unit and himself included almost single-handedly saved the Battle of Gettysburg uh, on the bat, what's known as the Battle of Little Round Top. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, they would have been flanked and overrun if they didn't make a stand on that little hill, we'll call it. And had that had had they been flanked and overrun, like pretty much the Battle of Gettysburg would have gone to the Confederate side, and I believe the war would not have turned quite in the way it did, and our nation may look very different than it does now. So I think. He's a very fascinating figure in that he played a very pivotal role in a, at a critical juncture in our history in a, in a battle like that. And then gets done with the war and just quietly goes back to teaching college the rest of his life. I just find that really fascinating. Isn't that amazing that most of them did that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he yeah. was yep. the just melded back in into <clears throat> He And they, um, he, during that battle... Particularly, he actually did, uh, when they were being assaulted, he uh, used the wagon wheel maneuver to mm-hmm. continually push the forces back down the hill. It's in yep. the, it's either in the movie Gettysburg or Gods and Generals, I can't remember which, but I'm pretty Gettysburg, sure it's Gettysburg. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. And, uh, the actor, he played the other guy in Dumb and Dumber, the blonde guy, not Jim Carrey. Was, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um... <laughs> name escapes Jeez. me right now but that's why i remember that yeah. guy specifically because he was played by the other dude in that movie <laughs> the dumber guy Je- yeah. uh, uh it was jeff right or no hold on it's gonna come to me it's gonna come to me because jim carrey was low uh, right yeah he's the other guy yeah fascinating character yeah the chamber yeah you know the other guy and and Right, right, right. The uh, and that's the other thing. So the movie Gettysburg is based on the book The Killer Angels, written by Michael Shara. Which, if that's another favorite book of mine that I could have easily given you. I, again, I gave you the sh- shooting context answer in the historical context. That's definitely in my top three books, uh, historically speaking. It's a fascinating book. He's a great author, by the way. Mm-hmm. 
Yep, yep. I firmly believe that the Battle of Gettysburg was won at the Battle of Chancellorsville. Well, it certainly had an an impact, that's that's for sure. In that Stonewall Jackson died at yes. Chancellorsville. Yes. I think so, therefore, had Stonewall he could not fight Jackson at been at Gettysburg, I think the result would have been different. Absolutely could have been. There, there's so I, many things that could have uh, swung it the other way. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think, as they say, what nations have destiny, and our nation was destined to be together, and the only way that was going to happen was if Stonewall Jackson wasn't beside Robert E. Lee. Yep, yep. That's just me. I'm t- by the way, I live ten minutes from Chancellorsville, so I've done a lot of a lot of study in that in Fredericksburg. That's awesome. By the <laughs> way, it was it was Jeff Daniels that played. Uh, oh, there right? you go. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> And and bear with me because uh, it's the evening, and I have been on two of my own podcasts already today, so there's been a lot of talking and soul-searching and brain-crunching today. (laughs) Yeah. No judgments. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Favorite gun and caliber. They don't have to be the same. They could be, you know, exclusive of each other. Yep. So... I'm kind of lame in this regard because I'm a very practical person when it comes to guns and shooting. Uh, I tend to like the things that that, I, that get used the most. Uh, so favorite caliber is 9mm because that's what I shoot the most of and it's the most practical for me. And so I enjoy it. Um, there's certainly many other things that are cool and awesome, but, uh, but 9mm. Secondly to that, uh, man, I, I really like the pistol that I carry these days, uh, I I just get a lot of enjoyment shooting it. It's a great gun to shoot. It's a P320, um, but it's a total, you know, Frankenstein of a gun. Uh, it's a compact slide and, uh, with a threaded barrel with a compensator on it and a tungsten grip module and a red dot optic on it. So uh, it's basically like what some people would refer to as a Roland special, but in a P320 form and, uh, and, a, and a light on it. I mean, it is, I mean, heck, I'll show it. I got it right here. I mean, there you go. That's that's my carry piece. So, so that's, that's my favorite gun because that's what I like to shoot. So what are you running out of it to make sure that it functions well with the comp on it? So it's a reduced power recoil spring. Um, it, it runs pretty much anything from soft loads to full power loads just fine. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, nice. Yeah, it's like a like about a 12-pound recoil spring, and I've tested it with my carry ammo, with my practice ammo, full power loads, uh, match load, you know, like 130 power factor stuff. Um, yeah, it runs everything. Nice. Very good. Leo, I'm surprised you haven't chimed in. I, I was waiting for him to finish because I wanted to show my smile and how happy I was because I carry 320, <laughs> and Dave makes fun of me all the time. See, cool people carry 320s, Dave. <laughs> I don't disagree. <laughs> All right, so now you're making me change my fifth question. Because it was going to be your favorite carry gun in caliber, but now I'm going to ask you, what is it you compete mm. with? Mm. So I, I compete with the P320X5 Legion, uh, done up with uh, Grey Guns stuff, Grey Guns grip module, Grey Guns trigger parts, and all that. Uh, which I'm sponsored by Grey Guns. 
and it's got the Romeo 3 Max optic on it, uh, shooting carry optics. How do you like that optic? I love the Romeo 3 Max uh, as far as an optic goes. I mean, the, the size of the window, the clarity of it, the, the dot itself. I mean, it's for me, it's been a phenomenal optic. I'm about to get my second one because I need to get my uh, backup uh, pistol totally set up the same way. So right now my backup's running an RTS-2 or whatever, uh, red dot, which is similar to the Romeo 3 Max, just a little bit smaller window and stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, I want to get, you know, both guns just totally exactly the same. Okay. Why yep. were you shaking your head like that, Leo? I'm just very excited because I, I don't have the Legion, but I have the 320X5 as well. Um, and I don't mm -hmm. have the, 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 the Romeo three. I just started, uh, cause I'm not great with red dots, but I'm starting to be, or at least practice with them. And, uh, I have the grace optic, which if you've never seen it before, it doesn't have a top. Mm -hmm. It's yep. topless. Like I like my ladies. Yeah. That's how I like my optics. <laughs> topless. <laughs> uh, they are unique. I, I, I've seen, like, I've seen them, like images of them, but I haven't actually seen one in the wild. So maybe some sometime we'll cross paths and I can check yours out. Yes. <laughs> All right. Getting into the questions. Getting into the meat of everything. All right. So um, first off, I want to say I've listened to your podcast now for probably two, two and a half years, somewhere in there. It's very good. I like it. Um, that's you. how I was introduced to you. Mm -hmm. Then um, we had the opportunity, mainly me and Leo, to run into you at Nationals last year. So we got an opportunity to speak with you then. And I want to thank you for coming on the podcast with us. Yeah, my pleasure, man. And it was fun to meet you guys. I mean, I, I, I do remember meeting you and and you, you kind of told me a little bit about that. You're like, hey, I've, I've been following your podcast for a while and we just launched our own. And I'm like, so sweet. Because I, I love seeing more people get into the podcasting game, uh, having done it now for f five five years, four months, 500 episodes. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's awesome. And I'm excited to see you guys doing your thing, and, and I hope it goes really well for you and grows. Thanks. It's kind of hard to miss as we were in those bright yellow and orange <laughs> and lime green vest jerseys. Right. So, But it did exactly what we wanted. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so I want to start talking about concealed carry stuff. Mm. Uh, if if I'm correct, you're the vice president of training for concealedcarry.com, correct? I wear many hats. Uh, I, I I have many job titles. Probably uh, that's close enough. Yes. <laughs> I, okay. I I'm the number two guy at concealedcarry.com. My business partner slash you know uh, partner or you know he's the founder of the business is Jacob. And uh, we've we've been together now working uh, for five and a half years on this venture and uh, loving every minute of it. And uh, yeah, like I said, a lot of a lot of hats. I'm more of the shooter technical kind of guy where it comes to shooting and guns and things. Uh, training. I'm an instructor, uh, so I kind of oversee more of that type of stuff in the business. He's more of the marketing and uh, website and you know that kind of thing. Okay. Um, so I want to start with this, a uh, quick brief intro. I turned 18 the year Leo was born. <laughs> I actually voted for Ronald Reagan that year. Um, and never 
in my my time as an adult have I seen so much division and strife. Hmm. Where you're at, uh, what you do, have you seen any type of it uptick? I mean, we know there's 8 million new gun owners, but what's the uptick been like for training, um, concealed carry, that type of stuff? So regarding training, and, and us at concealedcarry.com, we do have a instructor network, if you will, of concealed carry instructors uh, across the country. There's like 40 some odd instructors in about 20, oh, 26 or 27 states or something like that across the country that, uh, you know, basically our arrangement with them is we're sort of like a marketing arm for those instructors. We, we post up and advertise their classes, you know, they show up, they teach them and they get paid a course. And, um, and we just take a small cut of, of what they would otherwise make. It's a pretty good arrangement. Um, with the, I mean, we did see an overall a slight increase throughout last year uh, in terms of students taking classes. Um, but it was a weird year, obviously, 2020 being like it was, because uh, there was obviously some classes that were impacted due to COVID-19 restrictions. So there was that impact. But as things got eased up a little bit later on in the year, there's definitely an uptick. Uh, fast forward to the start of 2021, a little bit of an uptick surrounding the debacle, you know, Washington, D.C., at the Capitol, that kind of stuff. New president being sworn in, talking about gun control, all of that. The bigger impact, especially locally here where I'm based in Colorado, is we had that unfortunate uh, mass shooting at the uh, grocery store in Boulder, Colorado, uh, short, you know, just a while back. And uh, immediately all of our classes here locally sold out, uh, like that night. Um, you know, that's always been an interesting thing to me that, you know, of course, as human beings, we're very emotional creatures, uh, you know, and, and, and things like fear, especially uh, scarcity, which is related to fear. You know, that, that, that type of stuff motivates us pretty, pretty heavily to, you know, make changes in our lives. Um, it, but it, unfortunately, is a very illogical thing. The, the, the thought is, oh, well, I might have been in that store and I might have been totally defenseless because I wouldn't have been carrying a gun because I don't have a permit to do so concealed, you know, here at this store or whatever. And so, therefore, I must go get my permit because that could have been me by Jove. So um, it's a very kind of, you know, not forward way of thinking, but at least people get motivated to make a change in their life. And hopefully that begins or, or starts them on a path to uh, greater enlightenment in terms of you know, personal defense, guns, gun carrying, shooting, all this, all the whole package that goes along with, you know, the, the way I see it is concealed carry is just a, just a piece of, of the whole package, which, you know, ultimately is I desire that all men and women are agents unto them own, to, un, unto themselves, that we are free and able to make choices the best that we can that influences our lives. We cannot do that. We are not free to do so if we do not have some measure of security. And as has been proven by last year, 2020, with all the riots and police unable to protect cities and citizens and so on and so forth, we are our own first responders as it comes to our personal security and defense. So in order for us to be truly free, 
agents of you know unto ourselves we we have to be able to defend ourselves fortunately this is a nation where generally speaking that is still very much able to be done when we compare ourselves to any number of european nations uh, and, and various places throughout the world where self-defense is strongly discouraged and even outlawed in many cases uh, we're very fortunate that that while we may have all kinds of laws and restrictions that we may not agree with we're still more or less free uh, in in this manner yes at least for now for now that's right we have to be uh we got to be constantly, you know, uh, on guard, vigilant. We do. We do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we just interviewed um, Jill McDaniel from Mom at Arms a couple of weeks ago talking about all of this because they're more of a grassroots uh, organization here in Virginia. So, you know, mm-hmm. we discussed all of that as well. And like I know you guys have preached, it's you have more of an impact local and then you try to grow it bigger from there. Yeah. Um, the other part I wanted to say is, you know, we now it even the split is becoming larger. Now, obviously, it was o- almost a 50 50 vote in the last presidential election. And now you have almost half of the states looking at constitutional carry and the other half not. Um, and even institute, you know, so those half that are going with constitutional carry have fewer regulations those that don't have more regulations and the division just seems to be getting um, greater and greater uh, the one thing that um, I, I talk about this because um, where I'm getting at is you guys have a reciprocity map on your site that people can use are you guys seeing a change in how that's going to work with the um, constitutional carry type stuff? So our map currently does and always has uh, made accommodations for things like that. Uh, and just FYI as a reference, uh, if, if anybody goes to concealedcarry.com forward slash reciprocity, well, actually, it's a short link to take you to a whole bunch of reciprocity-related resources on our website. Included in that is a reciprocity map. Uh, you can actually just clip, click, click on our our uh, menu bar across the top. It says permit maps. Uh, so, you know, so here's the thing. So there's there's two ways that states pass reciprocity, or excuse me, pass constitutional carry. Some states will take the route where any law-abiding adult citizen, whether they are a resident of our state or not, that comes to or passes through our state, they can carry constitutionally. The other approach is some states will say you have to be a resident of our state to thereby carry constitutionally in our state. Um, and so, and I honestly, it's hard for me to even keep track of which are which anymore. But uh, um, you know, obviously, I think the the better approach uh, just constitutionally speaking is like to me truly constitutional carry says any person you know i i honestly i'll be honest i i'm i'm a very absolutist in terms of what the second amendment means uh i i'll go so far as to say like i believe that you know those with criminal histories have a right to personal defense okay 
Um, that, but that's, I don't, I don't want to get off to, you know, the weeds. But my point is, is that at least, at the very least, law-abiding citizens, no matter where you come from, no matter where you are, where you're going, like if you're a constitutional carry state, I think you should respect everybody's right to carry a gun for personal defense in your state. Now, that'd be the approach I'd like to see, but but not every state takes that route. So we have to look at con- at uh, uh, reciprocity to with that in mind because, um, you know, if, if someone plugs in a state or something like, I'm from, you know, California, for instance. Well, there's some states without a permit even that due to their constitutional carry law, if you're visiting that state, even though you're from California, you'd be able to carry concealed in that state. Um, conversely, there may be some states where uh, that wouldn't apply. Okay. Generally speaking, though, our reciprocity map is looking at uh, what what permits do you have currently from your resident state. You can plug that in. You could also plug in if you have permits from if you have non-resident permits from another state. So, for instance, I have a Colorado resident permit because I'm a resident of Colorado. I also have a Utah non-resident permit. Uh, which, as a Colorado resident, that is the, I can add that Utah permit, and it's basically the most, it gives me the most states I can carry in uh, in the U.S. The, the Utah non-resident permit adds to my list of reciprocity what's, for me, two critical states, uh, which is Washington and uh, Nevada. Nevada especially, because I spend a little more time in Nevada. So, uh, so you know, I have a, a resident, non-resident permit. Plug those into the system, and it's going to generate my own custom map. I mean, you could be from some other state and have, like, five non-resident permits if you so choose, and, and it would be able to generate uh, still a custom map for your specific situation. But, again, our map does take into account uh, states where constitutional carry exists where even though you're not a resident of that state, you could you would still be recognized as being able to carry in those states. Does that okay. does that answer your question? It, it does. Yeah, and and I, I mean I'm I'm I don't know how long it's going to last for us here in Virginia because they're mm. trying to push a bunch of stuff through um, with Northam as the governor and the Democrats with the House yeah. and the Senate. Um, but like I have Nevada, I can go. Anywhere but the Northeast and the Far West and Illinois, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. I can go anywhere. So it's it's very nice. I've used your map quite a bit. So I wanted to make sure I talked about it on here because I think it's an asset for anybody um, to go to your yeah. website and use that. Well, if you don't mind, I, and I appreciate you, by the way, uh, uh, you know, pointing that out and mentioning it. I mean, I think it is a valuable tool. We have a lot of uh, free resources on our site. But a lot of this is also available in our mobile app, which is called the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app. Like if you just type in, honestly, if you if you search Concealed Carry in the Google Play Store or Apple uh, App Store, uh, typically we're within the first three results, but it's the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app. The, it has the same reciprocity map builder tool right within that, and it has a bunch of other tools along with it. And it's a it's ad free. It's it's a free app. Uh, we've we've promised. We've made the commitment that we will never charge for it. We will never have um, you know like pop up ads or banner ads or that kind of thing that's taking up screen space on your phone. It's just something that we like to provide as a resource. I have that as well. Sweet. <laughs> yes, it is very nice. Won't lie, because uh, I've been as far as Texas, 
west, north Michigan, and south to Florida all driving. So I've, I've used it several times. However, there's one thing. I'm going to jump to it now that I did not know before when I was on your website, which is under the – you've got a tab called Law. Yes. And under there, I went and I, I went down uh, – where'd it go? Oh, and I clicked on the state of Virginia – and boom, sure enough, it brings up a very quick but brief all of the laws in Virginia dealing with concealed carry, where you can carry, where you can't, um, and, and all of that. It's actually very good. I was very yeah. impressed with it. Good. Awesome. I appreciate that. I mean, we've worked yeah. hard to make those resources valuable. And, and the other thing, if you noticed on that, uh, if you click on the law tab in our menu, uh Again, what you'll see first is the map where it tells you if you click on a state on the map below, it'll open up a summary of that state laws, mm -hmm. state's laws. Um, but below that, it's kind of some other interesting stuff. So like, for instance, you can actually click on constitutional carry. There's a link down below that. And it actually opens up a, a, another, uh, a whole other thing. And it goes state by state by state and explains which states are constitutional carry states and which ones are not. And it does that. We have that available for all kinds of categories. So if you wanted to look up which states permit open carry, which states require you to uh, notify law enforcement, which states, you know, duty to retreat when safely able, so on and so forth, campus carry, firearms at K through 12 schools, what's, what's the various magazine capacity limitations by state? So, yes, all organized very neatly and simply. Yes, very nice. I was very impressed with that. I hadn't noticed that before, and I've been on your website before, but for some reason, I was actually hoping that a miniature Andrew Bronco was going to pop up on the screen and, <laughs> and educate me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that guy is a walking encyclopedia. Holy yes, cow. He is. All right. But, but to be clear, his specialty is the actual application of deadly force, the use yes. of of you know as he, as his brand is called the law of self defense uh if you ask him questions like well what's the law regarding magazine capacity limitations in such and such state and he'll be like that's not my thing i i deal with the use of the gun not is this or that legal in various locations right he deals with the after effect yeah absolutely um so i see that for the most part you guys recommend appendix carry for concealment uh, i certainly think it's uh very viable uh I, I you say recommend i'd say yes in a general sense because it has some strong things going for it right ease of access quick to access uh it's very you know it's easy to retain your pistol in the appendix position it's well protected generally speaking uh you know most of the gun takeaways we see and I'm talking civilian-based gun takeaways, and there's there's a number of examples out there. There's there's videos of it occurring. There's surveillance video of people getting their guns taken from. Almost without exception, those are instances where people are carrying either openly, which typically if you're carrying openly, it's on or behind the hip, and or they are printing, meaning that somebody can tell that they've got the gun. It's It's showing through their shirt, and it's almost always behind the hip when those gun takeaways uh, occur. So, uh, again, I, I'm not going to tell anybody what to do or not to do, and, and people have various reasons for how they carry or choose to carry. Uh, I think appendix carry has a lot of a lot of things going for it. I think it's a very 
viable method of carrying a gun concealed. I think it allows for easier concealment of larger guns. Larger guns are easier to shoot, therefore we are more effective with them. To name just a few additional benefits. So I think it's something that should be looked at and considered. Uh, should everybody do it? Maybe not necessarily. Should someone that's uh, very new to carrying a gun look at appendix carry? Yeah, I don't know. That's that's a diff- more difficult than Because I, I generally say someone that's new to carrying a gun, they're almost always a, a liability risk to themselves and others uh, initially as they're figuring it out. And especially if their uh, gun safety and their handling is not up to snuff. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously the, the one thing that most people point, at, point to is, well, you're going to shoot your dick off. Well... I mean, you could shoot yourself in the butt and you could still die because guess what? Bullets do unpredictable things inside the human body and there are still major blood vessels, arteries and so forth in your hip and lower leg regions that could be hit, by, struck by a bullet no matter where you carry your gun. So anyway... Um, yeah, you know, choose the the option that, you know, we want to make a good informed decision. We want to make the decision that's right for each of us individually. Uh, I happen to carry appendix and have done so for, for several years now. Same. Leo apparently does too. Yeah, yep. same. Well, the, the whole you shoot your dick off. I got plenty to spare and I got two kids. I'm good. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> <laughs> no well, and, and I'll say this. I mean, the, the three we're both paramedics by the way riley so awesome the the three negligent discharges that come to mind for me right off the top of my head two of them were cops one of them was a civilian two of them were cleaning their guns so one was a cop one was a civilian both cleaning their guns uh both in their legs okay one was sitting in his living room Mm. with his wife and kids at home in a townhouse Mm. when he fired one off Mm. the third one was actually another cop who was at a private range practicing, and he's shooting, bing, 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 bing. He said, normally, now he got shot in his leg. So I'm like, okay, did you shoot yourself holstering or drawing? He said, neither. And I'm like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. I, I don't understand. And he said, well, I was shooting, and I normally wear a hat. Well, I wasn't wearing a hat this day, so I got hot brass down my back. So then all I can imagine is this guy flopping around with hot brass down his back not paying attention finger still on the trigger shoots himself in the leg so you know i've not seen anybody do it yet with appendix carry but any other way i've I've seen several well uh, there's no doubt it that it i mean that it doesn't i mean it happens like we know it happens and there are certainly some documented instances where where it has happened um but if you position your holster you know, if you're careful about how you position your holster in the appendix position, and by that, like not having your muzzle perfectly, like mid, perfectly midline, pointing at your stuff, um, slightly offline, like if I wouldn't do it, but I could, I could, you know, I, I actually was looking at this today. Take your pants I, off. Uh, I, so I'm, I'm actually wearing today. I'm, the holster I'm wearing is on a system called the Enigma system from Philster. So the Enigma is a relatively new product that is a, it's a way to mount a Kydex holster, kind of like this one here, onto a faceplate that has its own belt attached to it. And it's a way you can actually carry a gun concealed 
uh, without a belt, without normal pants, like you can, you know, be in sweats or gym shorts or whatever. Uh, it's a pretty cool setup. And so I just got, I just got the, uh, uh, Enigma for a light bearing holster like this one here. And that's what I'm wearing. So today I put that on. And so I get it on, like I'm standing there, you know, just in my, in my, in my underwear and I'm looking down and I'm looking exactly in line with where my muzzle would be in that holster and it's not hitting anything. It's like right in the crease between the junk and the legs. So, um, anyway, point is, is though we know that people have shot themselves, we know people have shot their junk and we know people have shot themselves in the femoral artery, but I can also tell you that there have been people who have shot themselves in the leg innocuously, you know, in places where people would be like, oh, he just shot himself in the leg. But I've seen people have had their lives absolutely transformed from some of those injuries where those bullets have traversed all the way down the leg, tearing up all kinds of flesh, muscle, nerves, and other tissue along the way. And they have had, again, like life-altering results uh, from those injuries. So, um, yeah, you might survive shooting yourself in the junk uh but you could just simply shoot yourself in the leg and actually be crippled for the rest of your life or have to have your leg amputated bullets very readily follow bone so yeah absolutely yeah yes they do uh, i'm trying to figure out where i'm at here i, I could tell grumpy really came with like a lot of a lot of stuff he wanted to ask. Oh, about. he was ready. Yeah, he was ready. Well, it's funny because we were we were actually discussing appendix carry today, and I didn't tell Dave this, but when he was texting me, I was actually getting ready to hop in the shower at work because I had just PT'd. So you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, because I've been carrying, and like you were saying before with appendix carry, I didn't start doing appendix carry until I felt very comfortable that I wasn't going to, and, 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 and to speak to the, the incidents that have occurred, generally it's someone holstering and their, a clothing item gets in the way and depresses the trigger. Because as long as you are confident and comfortable with your weapons manipulation, it's very difficult for you, if you have a proper holster, to holster your firearm and shoot your hang down off. Like yep. it, you really have to be trying or just be super negligent, in my opinion, to do that and with appendix carry. Yeah, I agree. And that's another great benefit of appendix carry is that, like, I can actually very yeah, easily look. look down and be like, hey, look, there's my holster. It's clear. Right. It's open. It's ready to receive the gun versus, mm -hmm. you know, for a long time, I carried, like, like a lot of people behind the hip inside a waistband. And, like, you can't see that back there. Uh, I, I actually, I, and as an instructor being on the range and on the line and having worked with a number of students, the ones that have made me the most nervous on reholstering have been the ones that actually cannot see their holster. You're and flagging somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you get back there and you're like, you can't really see it. You know, it's, I mean, some people have a very well developed, uh, uh you know, index of sorts, you know, they, they know exactly where the holster mm -hmm. is. They go back, you know, cause they've practiced it a bunch. Right. Others, maybe not so much. And, but then they'll go back and they're, they'll kind of start fishing for the opening of the holster. And I'm always like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know what? If you don't find it in the first try, slow yourself down. Just start over from scratch, okay? Because sitting there, you know, waving the gun around trying to find opening the holster, not a good idea. You're, Yeah. Agreed. Uh, yeah, agreed as well. Um, 
So October 28th of 2018, Jacob Paulson posted a, an article on the website. Armed citizens are successful 94% of the time at active shooter events. Mm-hmm. I assume you're somewhat familiar with the article. Or are you oh, going to pull it up real quick? The, our, our entire time. Jacob was the brainiac behind it, you know, got that th- whole thing started. But but all our entire team worked on and had input on that. So, yes, very, very familiar. Okay. <clears throat> now, yep. my question is, what are your thoughts on engaging active shooters? Well, that's it's complicated. A, I know that's a choice that everyone has to make for themselves. Um, you know, so let me present kind of two different uh, ideas, if you will, two different values or mindsets. Um, I think. Okay, so first of all, there's there's no shame, in my opinion in someone being of the mindset that you know what active shooters going on but that's over there and i'm not there i'm here okay so my best course of action like what what takes care of me and gets me or or maybe i have my family with me like what maximizes our survivability is to go the opposite way and escape get away from the situation uh, there's no shame in that course of action in my opinion so I want to make that clear and that's essentially uh, the the first mindset that I'd present is that you know what if it's not my fight it's not my fight my num- like like many people have the the attitude that my number one goal is to get home to my family my wife my kids whatever to get home each night safely that's that's my number one goal that's my mission in life that's all I care about and that is a an honorable goal or or objective or whatever to have, uh, and so, and frankly, that's if you have that mindset, that's that keeps a lot of people out of trouble, because if that is at the forefront of your mind, that the way you live your life is that no matter what, my goal is to get home in one piece tonight, then that m- sets you up to be more likely to avoid conflict in the first place to instead of getting involved in an altercation instead of escalating things with somebody you know like so often things start with like road rage incidents and and uh, disagreements in you know parking lots of stores and stupid stuff and and in some of those cases people shoot people and it's justified and sometimes it's not justified because people get too upset in the moment, too heated, uh, start making poor decisions because, you know, they're, they're thinking with their feelings and emotions rather than with their brain. And so um, the the attitude of no matter what, my goal is to get home in one piece at night, I think is an honorable thing to have because then that most likely means that you avoid conflict in the first place and that's a good thing, okay, because making the choice to draw a gun and shoot somebody is life altering even if it is justified okay so that's a heavy thing to go through emotionally mentally but also in many cases comes with financial uh and other costs as well and so that's that's what you have to accept if you are going to involve yourself in in a shooting that you don't have to get involved in 
Well, you're basically asking to take on additional financial, mental, and emotional liability, life-altering stuff. So conversely, you know, the other thing is, is that many people, I think, have the attitude, and it's an honorable thing as well, that I carry a gun to protect myself and my family and those I care about. At the same time, I'm willing, or I think I'm willing, to, to try to be that person that stops an active shooter and saves other people's lives or something similar to that. It could be that I see, you know, this guy robbing, you know, grandma on the street and I decide that I'm going to intervene. Like that's an honorable thing. And I applaud you if that's like how you feel or think or whatever, like that's, that's, you know, good on you. Um, but understand that that comes with all those same liabilities that I just talked about. And, you know, you got to ask yourself the question, is it worth it or not? And that's something that each of us have to answer for ourselves. Um, now, certainly, as you mentioned, you brought up the uh, the article, uh, which comes with a bunch of, you know, like charts and graphs and things with uh, various statistical information uh, concerning active shooters and uh, people that stop them. Uh, I think that data is very powerful. And what it shows is that there have been numerous documented instances where armed citizens were able to stop really, really bad things from get happening or from getting worse than they already were. And I think that's really incredible because really about the only place in the world you see that where civilians stop that level of violence is in the United States of America. And that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, even in France on the train, it was three Americans. Yes. So <laughs> right. You can even go overseas and it's American stopping violence. I mean, and it that's France, an interesting just thing. Had the repeat performance, you know. And, and, and let's be clear, like, I am sure there are examples of regular people doing amazing things in other countries. Uh, but that does, but it does seem to be, I mean, you know, a lot of the world refers to us as those American cowboys. Um, we have a unique history and a unique culture that is ingrained in many of us. Not all of us, unfortunately, but many of us that uh, goes back to the foundings, the underpinnings of this nation that is unique and is fascinating, is incredible, and should be embraced because I think it's a wonderful thing. Absolutely. The, I, and the reason this question actually came up, I ran across the article, but yesterday someone sent me a video that I'd seen before. I want to say, we'll just say it was a Walmart. A man and a woman go in armed to shoot people. And a guy, a concealed carry guy was standing off on the side, heard the commotion, went after the guy, had zero situational awareness, and ended mm -hmm. up getting shot from behind by the woman. Yeah. So, and, and that's why I asked because, you know, I, I had replied to the guy. I was like, I've seen it. Um, he had zero situational awareness, which makes me wonder if he'd really had any training to even know what to look for and all of that. Cause that's where it gets complicated. You know, I would almost advise people if you haven't had any type of tactics training, anything like that, then I would say protect you and protect the people around you within your vicinity, but move away from the situation, you know, because you are going to run into things like that where there's more than one shooter 
And if you're not trained to be looking for things or being aware of everything going on, you know, 306 degrees around you, then you're going to end up being a victim. Yeah, you know, and again, that's, uh, yeah, you make some good points. Uh, that is a uh, uh, a complex thing to break down. Uh, and the incident you're referring to, by the way, in case people are wondering, is the, uh, it actually started across the street from the Walmart in a CeCe's Pizza where that man and his wife, amb- or girlfriend, I think it was his wife, uh, ambushed two or three police officers as they were having lunch. Okay. They ambushed him, I think, killed two i think there were three of them and i think they killed two of them that sounds right they like, then ma- made their way over to the walmart and go in and they just kind of like walk in and, and they get through in, in there and then they fire off some rounds and say hey everybody you know we're yeah. i don't know exactly what um the interesting thing is you know so so first of all let's recognize that the that the guy that this the, the the citizen that got himself shot um at least had enough situational awareness to recognize hey there's something going on here that's not good and was willing to step up and try to do something about it like that's you know that's an honorable thing and True. uh it, it is a great lesson learned that it, it i think this could have happened to just about anybody i think it could have happened to a police officer where you see what you perceive as being the threat and you get kind of sucked into that's the threat. And that's an important thing, by the way, because you once you've identified that threat, like you've got to make sure that you maintain, if you're going to go after that threat, follow that threat, whatever, you got to maintain visual contact with that threat. Like you don't want to be turning your back to them because obviously you've identified that they are the threat. Um, but recognizing that there could be other parties involved, uh, that's, you know, that's just something that, it does come with experience, does come with some training, uh, but also it's just something that we should recognize and try to keep in our minds that there, there's always that possibility that there's somebody else we need to be concerned with, and therefore let's let's be you know let's be watching. So I was an unfortunate one uh, for that for that guy, um, but uh, you know I don't try to like, and you know you you listen to the podcast we we do once a month now these justified saves episode as we call them, which is our term for a DGU, and uh, I've been, I've read and and studied and analyzed hundreds if not thousands of those, um, and uh, I, I I try so hard to not judge people that make mistakes in situations like that. Um, but let's focus on the lessons that can be learned. That's that's the valuable aspect because we, we should recognize that a lot of times any one of us could fall for some of the same mistakes if we're not careful. So let's let's take the lessons where we where we can without judging those that uh, you know went before us and uh, do the best we can in the future. That's a very good point. I mean, we we see it in our career all the time that it's easy to get the big eye and lose focus on the 30,000 foot view. So yeah, I mean, it, it happens. And like you said, it, it's unfortunate, but it, it, it does occur frequently. It does. <clears throat> so talking about your, and that, by the way, that is, um, that is one of my more favorite podcasts that you guys put out. That one and the legislative updates, I think mm-hmm. are, are two very good episodes that you guys put out that I that I really try to listen to all the time because there's a lot of 
whether it's legal information that's going on around the country or, like you just said, lessons we can all learn from situations that that I really try to make sure I make it a point to listen to those episodes. I appreciate that, and th- and thank you for the feedback, by the way. Oh, you're welcome. Um, now what I didn't know was not your average gun girls podcast was affiliated with you guys. Yes. Yeah, there's, there's several podcasts that are part of what we call our concealedcarry.com podcast network. The Concealed Carry podcast being the main one, which is the one I host. Uh, then there's the Not Your Average Gun Girls podcast, which has been on hiatus since uh, Amy, one of the hosts, had uh, a baby. Um, unclear as to if, when that is resuming, so we'll see. Uh, lots of great content, though, still there. And that, of course, was one that... Uh, Amy and Emily, the two hosts of that, wanted to start and create, and they, they wanted to do something that kind of had more of a you know female or, or women's oriented uh, shooting or concealed carry type podcast. And then we have the uh, uh, off-duty, on-duty podcast, which is our newest one, which is hosted by Brian Eastridge, a law enforcement officer out of uh, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma does a great job with that show lots of really amazing uh, interviews and episodes that he's put together in a very short time and then also the this one probably has the mm, it's more of a niche thing which is the firearm trainers podcast uh, for obvious reasons because it's more geared to towards instructors and there's certainly a lot more shooters than there are instructors but it's a great podcast rob beckman the host of that one Actually, uh, you know, just brings on other instructors and and, just, and talks about very uh, instructor and educator and teacher and coaching kind of related uh, topics and does a great job with it. And what's and we always like one? to we also like to joke about uh, our, the host Rob Beckman being our own uh, John Goodman because if you listen to his voice, he has a little <laughs> bit of a John Goodman sound to him, so it's kind of fun. That's Sorry, fun. you asked something. I think. Yeah. What was the uh, What did you say the name of it was? The Firearm Trainers podcast. Firearm Trainer podcast. I have to look that up. Yeah. Okay. You guys also had one called Shop Talk. Did that end or? That was not really an official podcast. Uh, that was like a Facebook live show that I did for a year, year and a half or so. Uh, we okay. did end that. Um, we, we. I'm actually working on something that will kind of take its place a little bit. Again, that was a Facebook Live show. Um, I'm working towards doing something that is similar in concept, but a little bit more professionally produced, meaning not you know just throwing up my phone and, and doing a Facebook Live thing, but uh, uh, you know, and it'll hopefully be like a weekly series kind of you know thing. So, so something in the works, but uh, shop be- talk. Are you going to use StreamYard to live stream it, or? No, I don't, I don't think it'll be a live show. Um, okay. But it'll be more like a, like I said, like a weekly uh, uh, video that again is similar in concept, like talks about a lot of the same sort of stuff, um, but releases it on our YouTube channel. Okay. Mm-hmm. The um, the other big thing I wanted to talk about on your site, which I like a lot, is um, your Guardian University where you have a lot of online training classes that people can, uh, lack of a better word, subscribe to, and then view different videos within a topic. Um, 
and, and learn about different things. Can you talk about that for just a minute? Yeah. Um, Guardian University is recently rebranded to be as such and is a work in progress. Uh, but uh, the idea there is that we are working on putting together a bunch. I mean, we already have a lot of content, but we're working on even more content. In fact, I'm going to be at the range tomorrow filming more stuff for it. Um, but there will be, I, I, let me give you kind of the vision. Eventually there will be a fair amount of content that's available for free in Guardian University. Um, but then there's also content that's behind a paywall. And, and the paywall is... Uh, those that get access to that are members of what we call our membership program, the Guardian Nation. Um, so we have, uh, you know, bunches of, uh, you know, like, I don't know, we've over, I don't know exactly the number right now, but over the history we've had thousands and thousands of Guardian Nation members. And they get access to members-only video and other content as well and discounts and other things. Uh, so, yeah, Guardian University will be kind of, yeah, that there will be some freemium stuff and there will be some premium stuff. Uh, I mean, a lot of it's already set up and, and going, but just know that it, there's going to be even more, especially on the freemium side even. So will that, so that, like right now, um, when I was on there looking, there were plenty of courses that I could purchase per se and go in and take. Uh, where, where did I go here? Mm-hmm. Uh, online video training. So... Like, just say, we'll take Conceal Carry Fundamentals. Mm -hmm. That's a pay item. Would that move mm -hmm. behind the wall of the Guardian Nation? Or if I still just wanted to take that online course, I could still take that right. online course? Yeah, yeah, and that's a great point. Yeah, there'd be a lot of things that you can uh, buy individually Okay. if you wanted to. So, yes, you're, you're correct that you could buy that. Uh, or you could become a Guardian Nation member and get it that way as well. So, Guardian Nation members get access to... All of our video content that didn't used to always be the case, but uh, in the last year or so, we've made that change where where our members get access to everything we've we've basically ever produced. Uh, you know, we have a, uh, a number of courses. There's a uh, uh, one that's called Fighting from Cover. Mm -hmm. um, there's a, a Vehicle Firearm Tactics course. There's a um, let me think. What's the other one that I'm missing? Um, a Home Defense. Uh, it's called. Uh, uh, complete home defense, I think, is what it's called. Yes, tactics it's been a while. for defending fact, your castle. Yeah, I think about it. I've got these DVDs up here. There we go. <laughs> Vehicle firearm tactics, concealed carry fundamentals, fighting from cover, complete home defense. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're available in in streaming and DVD form. The DVD thing is kind of funny because we created our first uh, video course, which I think was actually the vehicle firearm tactics one. And we got a lot of people asking if they could get DVDs of it. And we were like, it's 2017 or whatever year we produced that. It's 2017, bro. Like, people still want DVDs. And so we ordered some. We, we did an initial order of DVDs, and they, like, flew off the shelves. So then we've, we have since produced DVDs for everything else uh, because there's enough people asking for them. I, I think it's strange because I'd rather just stream stuff nowadays. But... But people want, you know, I think they want the physical thing. They want to be able to pop it in the Blu-ray player. Maybe that, no, probably the people asking for DVDs don't even have Blu-ray players yet. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I'm just well, teasing. We, we just spoke with Steve Anderson recently, and we talked about VHS tapes and cassette players. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a true story. He actually had a cassette player in his hand. 
<laughs> nice. You know, that would be something like maybe we should start like a like a quiet movement just to like mess with him a little bit and get like hundreds of of you know that shooting show fans to like message him and be like, "Hey, I would. I want to listen to your podcast in my car on my commute, you know, in my bucket truck, in my Volkswagen, <laughs> right. whatever. Right. And but my I Subaru. only have a cassette. Yeah, but I only have a cassette player. So can you like put your podcast out on cassette tapes? Get like a hundred people to email them that. That'd be awesome. That would be a riot. <laughs> I guarantee he'd be like, "Yeah, not a problem. Done. <laughs> right. We'll give you a patch with them." Oh, that guy is that guy is awesome. He was hysterical. He was hysterical. Um, all right. So I want to, I want to kind of morph this into what you're now doing. Sure. Okay. And that is your new learn, train, shoot at RileyTBowman.com. So yeah, yeah. What is it all about, and what was the catalyst for its creation? Um. All right. So, so I put together my own website recently. I mean, I'd I'd had the idea for a while. Um. You know, so I work for ConcealedCarry.com. It's my full time job, uh, and uh, everything I do, I try to support in some way the mission of growing my business, uh, ConcealedCarry.com. Uh. You know. We've worked hard to get to where we are. We still are a long ways from where we want to be. But the truth is, and a lot of people don't maybe see this on the outside, but we have, I think it's 12, 12 people employed at concealedcarry.com, 12 households that are supported by the revenue that's generated through our site. And uh, that's a big deal, and it's a huge responsibility. Uh, we've never had to actually lay anybody off, and uh, we'd like to keep it that way. Uh, we'd like to continue growing and, and doing more and, and getting better at what we do. Meanwhile, you know, I, I have some personal passions. And <clears throat> I've I've taught, you know, as an instructor, classes through the concealedcarry.com site and branding and everything in the past. And uh, the way our site is currently built, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a behemoth. And we're sort of like everything you know like you go to concealedcarry.com there's a lot of stuff right you can really get lost in the weeds going into all these different parts of the site um, and one thing that we don't do very well is market a lot of the training uh, that that is out there that is uh, you know under our umbrella and so um, I don't know when or if we're going to solve that part of the equation or even if it's going to continue to be as much of a priority for us as it has been in the past um, but I wanted to have the opportunity to kind of push some of my stuff out there a little bit more. I had been working on a curriculum for a couple of years, and uh, I, I thought about it. I was like, I don't know that I'm going to accomplish my personal goals that I would like to by you know just simply putting up classes on concealedcarry.com. Like, and, and it's not even really quite the right audience necessarily either a lot of times. Um, I wanted to be a little bit more broad in my approach. So, so with this new curriculum, it's, it's, it's a shooting curriculum. It's very, you know, I'm not trying to teach, although I probably could in some areas, I'm not trying to teach tactics or defensive shooting or that kind of thing. And by the way, I think that 
whole phrase defensive shooting is kind of weird to me anyway because um, it's like, well, what is that exactly? And it, I don't think it's as easily defined as people like to think of it. But anyway, um, so I, ultimately it was decided and I made the decision with my business partner, Jacob, as well, that I would create. Uh, uh, I actually had two domain names that I had owned for years and just hadn't done anything with them. One was one with my name, RileyTBowman.com. I couldn't get RileyBowman.com. Uh, it was already taken and, and they wanted a lot of money for it. Um, my middle initials T, so RileyTBowman.com. All right, whatever. And then LearnTrainShoot.com, which was just one that I was that I had and and kind of thought I might do something with it at some point. Um, so the truth is, at this point, if you go to LearnTrainShoot.com or RileyTBowman.com, they both lead to the same place. Uh, I am, uh, you know, so basically I've been trying to rebrand myself in terms of my instruction that I do, and uh, the the flagship course that I offer is what's called Pistol Intelligence. So that's what you'll find on, on my website. Okay. And I saw that you came up with your own pistol challenge called the Pistol IQ Standards. You had a video that you put out that, you know, you walked through it all. Mm-hmm. Um, one, how did you come up with that? And two, I do know that you just finished a class, and I'm pretty sure that was part of the class. Yes. At some point. So... How did you come up with it? And now that you've got a class under your belt with it, how did it work? Did it work out the way you were hoping? Yes. So uh, the Pistol IQ standards are, uh, they, they are intended to be a, they, they support the curriculum of the Pistol Intelligence course. Um, I came up with them and what they are is I wanted a set of standards. And by standards, you know, this is something similar to what a number of instructors are doing and have done for many years. Uh, you got guys out there that are just crushing it on the national training circuit, like Scott Jelinski, Modern Samurai Project. He has his black belt standards. You got phenomenal shooters like Gabe White and his turbo pin, you know, standards. You got, you know, even some standards or some tests that you would shoot if you're going through a Tom Givens range master course and that kind of thing. So, so I wanted something that was unique to me and to this curriculum that supported it. So, uh, and I also knew that, that I wanted it to be something that requires the shooter to demonstrate a variety of skills or proficiencies, uh, not, not just one area. And so as I thought through this, in my mind, a well-rounded shooter, I mean, we could go deeper than this and we could go broader than this but essentially what we came up with is or I came up with but I did have input I had uh, uh, Scott Jelinski at Modern Samurai Project Tim Heron from uh, Tim Heron Shooting um, Matt Little from Greybeard Actual and a few others that offered me input and have weighed in on both the curriculum side as well as the standards and so there's an accuracy requirement or standard so that you you got to prove and demonstrate that you can meet a, a basic level of accuracy and I think that's true of every shooter if you can't shoot accurate accurately then almost nothing else matters right uh, because like what does it what does it matter to go fast if you don't even have the basic like put sight on target here and, and hit exactly what you want to hit like nothing else matters so so there's an accuracy standard and in that portion, you got to shoot a half test, essentially. So there's an old, I say old, you know, it's been around probably a couple of decades now. You have a, a, a drill called the test or the 10-10-10 as created. I think there's a, 
I think even both of them sort of give each other credit to some degree. You got Ken Hackathorn and Larry Vickers that both are, you know, people know them as being the, the test or the 10, 10, 10 guys. Um, and the, the classic test is 10 yards, 10 shots in under 10 seconds. So we do a half test for my accuracy standard. It's five shots in under five seconds, and you got to do it from the holster, but it's also from 10 yards. So you do this, you, you shoot the accuracy standard. Then we have a draw standard. You got to be able to draw a pistol and put round, accurate hits on target and within a short time frame. Whether you're a competitive shooter or a defensive shooter, like you got to be able to do that. So uh, a lot of times a draw standard or a draw drill of some kind from you know many instructors would be like draw and put one shot. I like two shots because it kind of keeps you. You have to be. It keeps you honest, right? It's like. You can draw and throw one shot out there, and sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you don't. But to fire two shots indicates that you got to have a little bit more control. So that's the draw standard. Then there's what I call the recoil standard. And that's just a build drill, classic build drill. I'm like, you know what? And part of the reason I wanted it is because it's so universal, but also there's so much, like, shooting data out there. So, like... You can shoot a build drill, and because that's been shot so many times by so many different shooters, by so many top-level shooters, like you know what a good build drill is. And so I like that aspect of, you know, if you can shoot sub two-second build drill, you're a pretty good shooter, right? Like your top top shooters these days, especially from you know an open carry rig, competition setup, open what you know, open division, whatever, can probably do it, you know, 1.5 seconds pretty consistently or lo- or less. But honestly, if you can shoot a build drill in sub two seconds from the draw, like you're you're pretty you're pretty spicy of a shooter. So that's the recoil standard. So that and that just demonstrates that the individual has what it takes to draw, put gun on target, and maintain the gun on that target for those six shots. Then we move on to a transition standard, which involves two targets. That is what I would also maybe call a split build drill. It's also very similar to a Blake drill, the classic Blake drill of you know three targets and the idea is you put two on each of the three targets, but it should sound like almost like a build drill, right? Dun, 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 but three targets, two transitions. That's essentially what this one is. It's just with two targets. You shoot at target one, two shots, target two, two shots, back to target one, two shots. And the point of that was transitions are important. Transitions you should be competent at. And if you're a competent transitioner, <laughs> if you can use that word, uh, your your transition drill time should be very close to your build drill time. So um, that's the transition standard. And then the final standard is a throttle standard or a throttle control standard. And that's where we have three different targets of varying sizes that is similar again in concept. It's three targets, two shots on each. Transitions between two, you know, you got two transitions in there, but now it's do you have the discipline to apply the appropriate sight picture, the appropriate trigger press in as little time as possible, of course, on those three targets, but they are essentially, it's as if they're at different distances, at least that's how I look at it. But in this case, we just set it up very simply, three targets on a on, a, on one target, but they're different sizes so that you have to throttle your control. So okay. that's the pistol IQ standards. You shoot it, I have a whole scoring metric, it's a bit complex or complicated. I know people probably give me a hard time about that, but I have some very specific reasons. I'm going to do another video at some point where I kind of walk people through the scoring aspect of it and why it is the way it is and why I set it up the way it is. Uh, but the threshold now is 
If you can score over 144 points on the Pistol IQ standards, then you will win uh, my my prize, which I have yet to announce and release, and is in the process of being designed. But but uh, you know, a lot of guys will have like a patch or you know something that you would earn if you can pass their drill or standard, and so it'll be something of that type, but okay. different and unique. And it, and it it worked out for you this last class. So the class. It was awesome. In fact, it went better than I could have expected. Uh, I had four instructors in that class, which, uh, you know, on one level, it's like, ooh, that's kind of intimidating. <laughs> At the same time, it was a great group of guys to test this on. So this was the, the inaugural pistol intelligence class. I have tested portions of this curriculum numerous times in smaller settings and smaller classes, private sessions, various things over the last, you know, good while now especially last year last fall i was testing this quite extensively and uh but this was the full you know inaugural two-day class and the feedback i got was amazing uh there was numerous times people said stuff that just absolutely floored me uh you know again guys that i respect guys that are very good instructors themselves um yeah you know when they're when they pretty much every person that attended the class was like I'm going to come back and train with you and take this class again. It's like, okay, this is this is working and I'm on the right track. Okay. So the individuals, I, I assume they all took your pistol IQ standard at the end? Yes. Now, did they yeah, take they it? Shot at the it be- they shot yeah. it at the, uh, at the end of day one and they shot it at the end of day two. Okay. I was wondering if they shot it in the beginning and then at the end, but so... The end of day one, end of day two. Now, did mm-hmm. their scores correlate to their abilities? I would say absolutely they did. Um, awesome. I would say that people fell pretty much where I would have expected them to. And the good news is all except one, I believe, improved from day one to t- day two, which we want to see. The one that did not improve from day one to day two, I would say, um, you know, some like, Sometimes things happen, and sometimes you just, like, things just don't go your way, right? It's like you, you, you could put all kinds of preparation into a match, and then you go, and it just isn't your day. And uh, I would say that's more like what this individual experienced. It wasn't that they shot even poorly on the second attempt. It's just that, you know, some things happened that probably no one could have foreseen, and, uh, you know, the score is what the score is. So, but everyone else, I mean, but it was really promising, though, again, to see that everybody improved typically by at least 10 points um, or thereabouts. And um, uh, again, and and this is kind of my thought, by the way. So a score of 100 on the pistol IQ standards is what I believe would correlate to about a 50% shooter in USPSA. So like dead middle C class. Um, uh, A score of 112 would be, I think, pretty representational of a b-class shooter me you know keep in mind it's more like a range um a score of 124 would be like an a-class shooter a score of 136 would be like a master class shooter and 144 would be what i consider to be a grandmaster shooter and those that have tested these standards for me and give me uh, uh feedback uh if it, it seems to re, it seems to be very um very accurate or very close uh, you know, I had Mark Sue, uh, Grandmaster Production Shooter up in Washington State. Uh, he just shot it last week. I think he scored 150, 
two or thereabouts. I'm like, yeah, that sounds about like you, Mark. I mean, that's so he's well above the 144 mark, but he's a very, very, very good production shooter. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Steve Anderson says he feels that he could be a national champion if he wants to be. Yeah. So that says something about him. Yeah. Yeah, I don't – he's very talented, and he works very hard. He absolutely okay. has the skills necessary to get to that level if he wants to and can put in the time that it takes to get there. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. Yeah, I was, I was very curious. I saw that you had put it out, and I saw that you had a class. I was like, ooh – can't wait to ask him about this and see how it how it turned out because you know i mean look we all come up with stuff and then you put it into practice like oh i need to modify a few things here and there but it sounds like i mean obviously like you said you had some some input beforehand so you'd kind of mm-hmm. worked out most of the kinks if there even were any but it sounds mm-hmm. like you hit it right hit the nail on the head so good job i think so i think so uh i, I do think i mean there there Obviously, there's always areas for improvement. Uh, I'd like to think that the standards where they are currently, where the scoring is, will be pretty well set in stone. But uh, the curriculum, you know, definitely there's some opportunities for improvement. It was a phenomenal class. I got great feedback. Uh, There's some areas definitely to just make it better. And I am a big believer in constantly seeking greater improvement in, in, in all areas of our lives. Uh, and so that's what I will be doing with that curriculum. And if I can make the standards better, that too. But, but I, you know, I, I, I didn't want to release them until I felt reasonably certain that, that it was going to, like, this is what it's going to be because it's hard to say that this is a standard and put it out there and six months later you change it and now it's no longer, hey, you know what, so-and-so shot it back in March and they, you know, they met, they, they scored over 144, they got the patch or whatever thing. But now all of a sudden you change it and it's either harder or easier. Then it's like, well, that doesn't really work, right? So so I, I tested it all extensively. I've shot those standards a lot. Most of my ammo expenditure in the last couple of months has been on actually just testing the standards and just wow. um, making sure I got enough data to feel confident that they were where they needed to be. Okay. All right. Yep. <sighs> How did you like Area 6? Area 6 was awesome. Uh, yeah. First time shooting an area match uh, east of the Mississippi. and uh, that was Yeah, you know, so I, so to this point, you know, I'd shot Area 3 and Area 2, Area 1 last year. Um, so the first USPSA match I shot east of the Mississippi was Nationals last year. And then, uh, you know, it just happened to – the reason I went to Area 6 was it just – happened to work with my calendar and i was looking for kind of a major match earlier in the year because the latter part of my year is really chock full i mean like i i have very little room in my calendar and so i was like well area six april like i think that's gonna work so so i i I did it and uh one of my sponsors which also is actually a company that's owned by concealcarry.com which is range tech shot timers uh we sponsored the match as well um, and so that was that was cool to be able to do and do that. And uh, the match went went very well. I went there with a specific goal in mind, and the goal was to try to put together a more consistent performance than what I had done previously in major matches. And I do believe I succeeded in that. Uh, I would say so. I mean, you got a match bump. 
yeah, um, the percentage was good enough to get me finally uh, bumped up to master class as something that I kind of was stuck at and, had, and was a little bit frustrated with. Uh, I, I really should have had, I should have gotten a, a master class bump last year, but I won't go into that um, unless you want me to. But uh, uh, sure. and, and I just kept bombing classifiers, I think, because I was trying too hard and was just really overthinking it. So it felt good. Uh, to be honest with you, I've gotten two class bumps from major matches, and I'd rather get them that way than through classifiers. So, uh, yeah, you know, it went well. Uh, again, I, I wanted a con more consistent performance. I think that was indicative by the fact that I had the fewest uh, misses, uh, fewest mics and penalties uh, of any major match I'd shot so far. Uh, so that was important to me. So in the past, like, I have to be a bit more disciplined, disciplined in my approach because I have a tendency to always want to just, like, push the envelope. And so I'm always like riding right at that line of like either awesome, it's you know crash or, or it's a, a, a you know what's what's the word or the phrase anyway I'm always like right there where it's going to be awesome where I'm going to crash and burn. Um, so if you look at my first area matches, I had uh, let's see I, area yeah I had stage wins and sometimes multiple stage wins at every area match I shot last year. Um, but I would have those awesome stage wins, but then I'd have really bad stages too. So, um, so I wanted to fix that. And so what that meant was, you know, dialing back that performance dial a little bit of, uh, you know, really trying to operate more like 90% of my max so that I could get that more consistent performance. And so at area six, there was never really a time where I was really pushing it too much. I did make some mistakes, but I made fewer mistakes than what I normally would have based on past performances. And so I was very pleased with that. The, the, the best feeling of all was I got to my last stage, which was stage one. And I actually remember standing there and thinking, you know what? I've had a very good, consistent performance so far through this match. Um, here I am on stage one, which is a stage that I recognized suited me very well uh, as far as my style of shooting and, and I just, I knew it was a stage that I could do well on. And so that was one that I actually kind of let off the brakes a little bit and, you know, just, I didn't, I didn't try to hold as much back. And so, um, so I, I kind of, you know, I was like, all right, last stage and it's a good stage for me. Like, let's just see what we can do. And that was my highest, I think, yeah, I was, I think I was second place on that stage. Or third, anyway, it was I think it was my highest percentage percentage stage, and that was good for me, just realization wise, knowing that I could kind of control that output a little bit, and so that's what Area Six was for me was sort of learning where my true limits are, and then kind of how to meter my performance in a way that's acceptable based on strategy, based on uh, on the stage and the you know the particular stage design and and how it flows and and you know how it fits me as a shooter and that kind of thing. So. So I think it, it gave me uh, some intelligence uh, to, to use going forward to be a little bit smarter in my application, my skills. So does that mean there will be more Riley Bowman sightings east of the Mississippi? Well, certainly I'll try. I mean, you'll see me at nationals this year, so that'll be east, obviously. But uh, I, it, that's probably the only match I'll be able to make besides Area 6 uh, this year. We'll see what's on the calendar next year. 
the rest of this year I'll be at Area 3. Unfortunately, my anniversary lands on the first day of Area 3. So I'm shooting the, the staff match at Area 3 this year. So I can get home and not make my wife upset at me. Um, and then, yeah, and then uh, I'll be at Area 2. I'm up in the air as to whether I can make Area 1. I'm going to try. Um, and then I'll be at Nationals. So why does Area 2 always happen after Nationals? Is it a weather thing? <laughs> That's an interesting question. I'm not sure if I know the answer to. Um, certainly you don't want to be putting on a you know, big-time match like that in Arizona in July. That would suck. Um, so That's I would definitely say that. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I think there's some strategy there that you either want that one to be probably earlier in the year or later in the year. Um, and so, yeah, you know, that's actually a really good question. I've kind of like when I've explained that to certain people, I'm like, here we are in the 2021 sh or like let's let's use last year as an example, the 2020 shooting season. I just went to nationals, but I still have an area championship to shoot. <laughs> They're like, that doesn't make sense. It, it does. I'm like, yeah, I don't. I <laughs> Whatever. Don't get it. It's baffling to me. But at the same time, you know, there's years like this year where you've got low-cap nationals this coming weekend. So, you know, we've only had Area 6 to this point. So, yeah, you know, so is we it have really so many divisions. Nationals? What's that? <laughs> is it really nationals then? <laughs> <laughs> we have some people we know shooting at uh, this one, so we should be we nice. Do. For sure. For sure. <laughs> So you answered my question about your uh, USPSA shooting calendar this year. Um, but yep. what about how is the ammo shortage affecting your prep as well as classes and such? Yeah. Well, it's tough for sure, right? I mean, I've had to cut way back. Uh, I try to make sure I get value out of every shot fired. Uh, so lower round count, you know, drills and practice sessions, that kind of thing. I mean, in, in, in years past, uh, a, a good range session for me would be four or 500 rounds a lot of times. Um, now it's more like, you know, 200. Um, and arguably there's probably fewer actual range sessions for me and more dry fire being mixed in, uh, as I'm sure is the case for many people. Uh, certainly it's affecting classes and training. Uh, I definitely, you know, and I recognize and I understand that. I mean, I think that there were a few people that had expressed interest in the class that I just put on in Idaho last weekend. But for, you know, ammo was definitely something that came up. Like, oh, you know, I got to, you know, make sure I have ammo for the rest of the season or, you know, or I just don't have the money or whatever. Like, I know that one of my students shot 45 ACP all weekend and he's not a reloader. So, and he was like trying to find ammo just for the class. And he paid ninety cents a round for for a case of ammo, so he could come shoot forty five ACP. You know, it's like whoa, bro. You know, I mean that's it, that's pretty steep. It's painful. Um, I have shot uh, factory ammo in the last number of years uh, because it was it, because it was so readily available and, and relatively inexpensive. Uh, I had reloaded in the past, but really my my reloading has more or less been like. My time is important to me, so I'd rather not be reloading. I don't mind it as an activity, but it's just it's something that does take a little bit of time that could be time dedicated to other productive things in my life. 
So, um, but, but cost becomes a factor, right? So, uh, and I did have a, and still do have a decent supply of primers. I don't have as much as I would like, but I think I'm in pretty good shape for this year and for probably, you know, next shooting season as well. Um, beyond that, you know, if I don't replenish things, it would get a little bit tight. Uh, so I got primers, I got powder, I got brass, uh, uh, bullets is an interesting thing. Uh, I've kind of been picking up odds and ends here and there like I got some 147 grain berries you know plated bullets uh, a couple thousand of those uh, uh, recently and I'm kind of working through those right now I'm waiting on a huge order of bullets coming from Gallant um, hoping that shows up at some point here soon <laughs> before I eat up those berries bullets but I did acquire all the stuff to you know like molds and 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 stuff for for casting bullets oh wow uh, I was like if I get desperate enough I'm going to at least make sure I can, you know, make some bullets if I get desperate. So Right. Wow. <laughs> I, I've never attempted that. I was thinking about it today. Though. I was like, I wonder, maybe that's the business to get into is the bullet making business. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, you'd have to run the numbers on that. Yeah, uh, for sure. <laughs> it, it looks like a lot of work to me. Uh, when And you put it in the, in the perspective of each bullet. And even in today's prices, you're looking at probably like nine cents a piece or ten cents a piece or something. Like, you got to make a lot of bullets to make uh, you, you know do. minimum wage. But you uh, do. Mel you know, if you get a good process, for... <laughs> <laughs> Just not a sponsor. He was in a swamp, so <laughs> there you go. Oh, that's funny. You know, something you were talking about, Riley. You were talking about how your performance, where you would either. Um, shoot for the moon or, or crash and burn. Um, I had done some statistics when we got back from nationals last year. Mm. And the one of the things I found that was super interesting was Casey Eusebio. He was mm. third in open, but mm. yet he had seven stage wins. Yeah. Christian only had four. JJ only had one. But his downfall was he had four stages where he placed in the hundreds. Yeah. And that is yep. what he had two 119s, a 130, and a 137. I mean, he still ended up third, but imagine had those been half of that where he might have ended up. So, I mean, coulda, woulda, shoulda, whatever, you know. But it's interesting yep. to look at. I, I love statistics because you can play around with them and, and look at different things. But it's very interesting. Yeah, I agree. And I, I've, you know, I, I don't probably nerd out as much about statistics as some people, but I do get into that a little bit. And I, I pulled some st statistics of my own from this uh, last year's nationals, uh, primarily looking at the carry optics, because that's what I primarily keep, com uh, compete in right now. Um, but it's just interesting to, to look at some of that stuff sometimes. And, and, and one thing I look at or have looked at, and I did do this for nationals this last year, was just what was the average stage placement for each shooter? And I went down the top first to top 20 spots. And so, like, I think Max Michelle was like 10th or 11th average stage placement, which is Ten, pretty respectable. 10.773. So you've got that data as well. I do. And, the, and then <laughs> uh, number two was, uh, was uh, Jason, right? And I think he was like, 18th or thereabouts. He was 14.545. Okay. So there it yeah, was Wanda you know, so, Kim who was third who was 18.273. Yeah. 
That's probably where that number was yep. coming back to my memory. So, you know, it's just interesting to kind of look at that, that stuff. And that was actually um, partly what, you know, led me to try to just, like, let's not try to... I actually kind of went to Area 6. I mean, like, it's nice to get a stage win, but I went to Area 6 thinking I don't need to get stage wins to finish well. Right. If I can just, if I can finish it like... 85 to 90% on every stage, I'm going to be in the top 10. Easy. I might even be in the top five, you know? So it's like, yeah, I don't have to, again, I, and I'm kind of a person that, and I think this, like, this is the sense I have about KC, you know, uh, watching him through the years. I, I get the sense like he, he likes to go fast. He does. That kid, he that is kid not likes afraid to, to risk go it fast i don't think he likes to hold stuff back <laughs> nope and i think that that's gotten him trouble numerous times and, in, and including this last nationals um i'm kind of of that si same mindset I, I i do this style of shooting because i like to go fast i think it's fun that's where i get my exhilaration my 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 adrenaline rush from is from shooting stuff fast so um but at the same time i want to do well so uh it, it's a bit of a change in uh, mindset to kind of go all right we're still going to go fast. We're just going to be a little more smart about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just reminded me of Ricky Bobby. You know, if you ain't first, you're last. Like, that's the thing that popped <laughs> right. in my head when you started talking about it. Like, my mom goes Casey. Fast. That's Casey right there. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. But I mean, he's exciting to watch. Yes. I, I like watching that guy shoot. He is exciting to watch. He's fun. I mean, mm -hmm. but Kwanzaa didn't have a single stage win, he was third. Yep. You know, yep. so it goes exactly. back to what you're saying, you know, it's and um, I mean, Ben Steger even says, you know, when he goes to like nationals, he doesn't he tries to be consistent. He doesn't try to yep. win any stage. He just goes there to be consistent, shoot his game. And it and seems it to work out works. well every year for him. And, you know, you watch him shoot and he does not look like he's moving that fast so, no. uh, sometimes no nope, i and agree that, that is a really uh interesting you know kind of paradox of sorts uh it's, it's i think ben stager is is a really good one to watch for that that consistency of performance totally agree absolutely very interesting but mason was uh mason actually ended up with the best placement uh he was in limited he was 5.409 Jacob Hetherington, when he won production, he was at 5.545. So they were very close yeah. in yeah. that regard. And as a matter of fact, Mason was only a half a place behind him in production because Mason was 6.182 yep. in production. So that's right. That was super tight. It was very, very tight. Mason came so close to winning production in limited last year. Uh, super happy for him. Fellow Gray, Gray Guns team shooter, obviously. Um, and, uh, you know, the interesting thing there is obviously you had a, uh, you had smaller fields in limited and production. So, so I think that's where we do see, you know, like there, there was, there was more competition obviously in carry optics and open last year than those other divisions. Not that, not to take away anything from those guys that, you know, cause both obviously Mason and Jacob are at the top of their game as are a few others that are, that are usually, you know, like Sal and, and others that are. Uh, very, very good in those divisions. Right. Um, but yeah, you put it in that con I was like, oh yeah, fifth place, like, you know, average, like, I that seems really high, but at the same time, you know, they've got like half the field dang near, uh, comparing uh, carry optics and production. Right. But, uh, 
Yeah, carry optics is 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 the the new hotness, isn't it? it I mean, and you actually, guys have talked about that in recent episodes about you know just just you looking at the the numbers for major matches this year and kind of where things are at. It's either open major or open minor these days. <laughs> yep, and there it is. Um, yep. This is all well. This is twenty one different major matches from last year, and mm. carry optics had the most participants per match at sixty four. And then you have open at 61. So those are the two most competitive, if you want to say that, divisions, just because they have the most competitors shooting yeah. them. Yep. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see uh, how it all falls this next year. I've yeah, actually... you've got, I mean, there's guys, there, there's rumors, you know, of, of top level guys in other divisions that are, talking like they're going to come shoot carry optics and that could make things really interesting. Yes. I guess I haven't added it yet to, um, my Google drive because I do have, I do have one for 2021 that has started and it's interesting. You can, you can start to see where the different areas are more popular with certain Mm. Um, divisions than others. Absolutely. So it's very, very interesting. Yep. Yeah, I concur with that. But yeah, so I'm I'm a nerd when it comes to statistics. So <laughs> very cool. Well, the only the only thing I have left is um, I noticed that. Oh, two things actually. One. I noticed that when I click on state resources in Virginia, it tells me to move to Tennessee or Texas. thought that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to get your opinion as someone who trains other people and also sells the product, the Cool Fire training system. Mm. Uh, it's very our, sad our, our friend is not here. Yes, but <laughs> I'm asking also for him. And, and look, every day I have three Great Danes, so... I've got to get them out and get them walking. And even today, I was thinking about it again. Um, I kind of feel uh, I used to I used to train shooting um, in a totally different realm, but um, I feel like it has a lot of applications. Like I was, you know, the recoil from the cool fire will can get captured on a timer, so I feel like a to reload to um, a build drill, stuff like that, it has potential to still give you a better idea of where you are than even dry fire. Dry fire is great for practicing it. Mm -hmm. Then that cool fire would be that intermediate setting. And then shooting it live would be the actual uh, test. But what are your yeah. thoughts on that? So, yeah, I, I kind of have thought through that similarly in some ways. Um, I do have a cool fire trainer. I have a system for a Glock 19 because uh, I've had, there was a time where I shot Glocks a lot uh, a few years back, and I've had that cool fire now actually for a few years now. I keep meaning to pick up one for my competition pistol because I'd like to play around with that a little bit more, uh, especially because of ammo being the way it is. Um, just to mix in with my dry fire practice, I do feel that shooters can get 
90% of the benefit, you know, as far as improving as shooters by just doing kind of your classic dry fire practice, as long as they approach it with a solid plan. I mean, they're not just stuck in the same, you know, rut of doing the same, you know, just like doing draws, for instance, like over and over and over and over again, or even just doing reloads over and over. Like, like there's lots of ways you can really expand your dry fire and I think get a lot of benefit out of it. The cool fire, obviously, what what I see is the most value in the cool fire for me is just another way or opportunity to um, to practice shot calling uh, because it disrupts your sight picture in dry in basically a dry fire uh, scenario, and and so I I, I feel that that has some value because one of the things I feel like if I do a ton of dry fire, like there's certainly some shot calling practice that you can obtain through your classic dry fire practice. Um, but if I just do a ton of dry fire, the one thing I feel like I lose relatively quickly is things relating to my vision, my visual awareness, and specifically, you know, sight tracking or dot tracking as it relates to, to shot calling, uh, you know, at, at a high rate of speed. It comes back quickly, but uh, uh, I, I, I kind of wonder if using the, sh- the cool fire trainer and mixing it in with my dry fire training would help minimize how much of that visual component of shooting that I lose from not doing as much live fire practice as I would like to. And so uh, that's kind of what's got me intrigued a little bit in wanting to, uh, again, I need to get a system set up for my, my competition pistols but um uh as as you mentioned shot timers and picking up shots that way uh there's obviously value there because if you can measure things then you can track them and you can track progress and that's important uh so being able to measure things in dry fire uh precisely uh, is, is is a huge value there are some other ways of doing that i will mention uh, and I actually just did a video about this the other day. Uh, so we post up some dry fire videos on a site called uh, ShooterReadyChallenge.com. That's kind of our company's way of uh, sort of having like a dry fire challenge and kind of trying to inspire shooters to, uh, you know, to give them ideas of, and ways of dry firing. And the most recent one, I actually, it's actually about f- type 1 malfunctions or failure to fire malfunctions. But the way that I... Uh, track those metrics I think is really interesting and unique and so I use a software program called laser app which is LASR app uh, laser activated shot reporter uh, or shot reporting system and what it, it, it's kind of like you know like there's laser Academy I think from mantis and there's like you know the G site app or this or that thing you know some of these dry fire apps where if you use a laser cartridge or something like a, a cert pistol uh the the webcam or the camera on your phone or tablet or whatever picks up the the laser beam on target and and tracks them and stuff um in my opinion the laser x or well laser x is the is a version of the laser app that i think is one of the best out there uh i think does a fantastic job of of giving you measurable data in dry fire so the way I, I did this in dry fire the other day is I actually used a laser cartridge insert uh, in the chamber. You know, one of those little things you drop in there and you press a trigger and you get a little laser beam that comes out, right? Mm-hmm. So I used that with my Laser X software. 
and I just was curious about, all right, let's let's try clearing a failure to fire malfunction in this pistol, um, like all the different ways I can think of to do it, and let's figure out which one's most efficient. And the way we're gonna do that is by measuring the time it takes between shot to shot. And by that, when we have a failure to fire malfunction, obviously the, the first shot is not a true shot because it means our gun went click instead of bang, and now we're clearing a malfunction, and now we're gonna get a bang, right? But in a dry fire format with a laser cartridge in my gun, when I get when I first press the trigger on what would be the malfunction ground, a click, it's gonna fire the laser and the software's gonna pick that up and then I clear the malfunction and fire the second shot. And so I have from click to bang time frame and that's a, a measurable data point of, of how quickly I could perform that action. Um, and so there's lots of opportunities and ways you could actually set up similar things so, so the point is, is like Cool Fire Trainer is an awesome system. I think it's one of the best out there. Um, it, I think it's a quality system. I've, I've definitely played with it a bunch. Um, but there's other opportunities in Dry Fire as well that we can measure things, track things, and work on, you know, getting our times down. Okay. That was pretty good. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> Real quick, because I know we've had you on for a bit, and I know you've been doing this all day. Uh, what do you think of the? USP? I'm good. I could I could do it all day, brother. All right. I, well, yeah, I'll be here all night then. <laughs> I work a 24-hour schedule on a busy unit. I'm used to being up all night. I'm good. Um, what are your thoughts on the USPSA rule changes? Oh, interesting question. Um, I would say these are the rule changes that um, align with me very well as a person and as a shooter. Um, it's actually quite exciting for me to play with the possibility of shooting entirely from a concealed setup and and in the, with exactly the gear that I care, like I showed you my carry pistol. Well, granted, this this particular one has a compensator on it, so that's not carry optics legal. But um, but I could throw my X5 top end on this and run the same gun with my light out of my light bearing concealment well, holster. Yeah. So like that is appealing to me. Now I I understand a different sides of this coin, and I have friends obviously that think some of the the rule changes were stupid and. Uh, whatnot, and I, I I totally understand that and respect those viewpoints. Um, but for me, I was frankly a little bit excited. I was like, "Ooh, cool! I'm gonna you know shoot my carry gear uh, one of these days." Uh, my goal right now is to uh, to make Grandmaster and, and carry optics. Uh, I believe I will get there, uh, you know, relatively soon. And relatively soon, my world is realize I'm not shooting matches every weekend or twice a week like some guys are. Uh, I don't have that time availability to me. Um, you know, on average, I'm able to make one to two matches per month. So I don't get to shoot as much as some of the guys out there. Some of that's availability matches. Some of that is, you know, I'm a, I'm a dad to five kids that are, are all at different varying uh, stages of development and life. And I'm a husband and a business owner and I got a lot going on. Um, yeah. I try to prioritize, you know, like I want to do well at competitive shooting, um, but I have to be realistic as to what I can do. So uh, my goal is to try to hit Grandmaster by the end of, by the end of 2021. I'm going to work hard towards that. I hope I can achieve it. And then once once I achieve that goal, uh, obviously the kind of the next thing is like, well, let's see, you know, like 
last year's nationals compared to this year's nationals compared to next year's nationals. Like I want to keep like, you know, moving up that, that ladder, just see how far I can take it. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, but, but once I meet, make grandmaster, uh, because again, right now the focus is purely on like achieving that goal. So I'm not trying to upset you know too much uh, in my routine of things. But but after that, I'd probably do some local matches shooting from concealment and kind of have some fun with it. Because uh, I think that would be fun. Um, I do think that the way USPSA approached the light, the the weapon mounted light rule, I think was a bit odd um, by making it so open ended as far as like hey. If it's on there and it lights up, like it's good to go. So you got like the lock light and you got feel straighter putting, you know, funky little Frisbee light thing on a, on a, on a big old weight, you know, and, and stuff like that. And it's like, that to me is a bit odd because again, it is United, it is the United States practical shooting association. So I do feel that if we're going to open up that Pandora's box, that it should still be practical. And I think there's a way that you probably could um, approach that rule set regarding lights that would, would have some practicality in mind. Um, I'm not smart enough to probably have all the answers for that, but uh uh, you know, I mean, like, to me, it was reasonable to go TLR1, you know, or X300 or, you know, that kind of thing. Like, okay, cool. So a commercially um, available light. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then, of course, and that's where it's like, well, uh, guys making the lock light, you know, just make that commercially available and therefore it passes. You know, it's like, right. I get it, you know. Um, and ultimately, it wouldn't have been the end of the world. Like, to me, the biggest thing was... Um, was actually just moving the holster positions and mag pouch positions. To me, that like if that was the only change that occurred, I would have been like, "Yes, that is awesome. Screw you, IDPA." And like, I, you know, for me to shoot from concealment appendix carry without a light, even though I normally carry a light, wouldn't have been in the end of the world. I would have been thrilled to do that. The fact that I can just do a light as well, like okay, whatever. But but the the holster and mag pouch position changes to me. That was the most exciting thing, and I think I personally feel that was a positive rule change for the sport. There's I'm sure people that would disagree with me on that, but for me, it simplifies the sport so much, and I think makes it easier for for newer people coming into the sport, and you're no longer worried about like. Oh, I took my my holster or my belt off, going to the bathroom, and came back and like accidentally get it off by a half inch, and all of a sudden I got a you know an RO calling over a match director and trying to DQ or move me into open division because you know my holster slightly forward of my hip or whatever you know so like I I think the holster position change was positive. I, I agree. everything else I couldn't care less about. I I like the holster mag pouches and I like I do like the magnet. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It, to me, you know, and I still haven't put a magnet on my belt. Um, I haven't either. But I looked I like at Aries. <laughs> yeah, I put. You know, I, I I ordered one. I've got one. Um, I looked at Area Six. Looked at the stages. Was like, doesn't look like we're going to be doing a a, a, a a unloaded start where that's going to become a an issue. So I was like, ah, I'll just leave everything set up the way it is. Um, I did enjoy moving my my mag pouches forward, and that was huge for me because I'm I'm kind of a bigger guy, and I have long arms. And so getting back to mag pouches on my hip has always uh, been a hindrance for me, always been a challenge for me. 
that just going down to that kind of that natural position where my arm naturally wants to go for that first bag pouch, awesome, an absolute you know blessing for me. Yeah, I would agree with yeah. all the everything you said about ma uh, mag pouch position and all that is are the I think those are the big things and the other stuff is this ancillary oh a light whatever uh, people are going to be upset about something that's just what they've decided to be upset about so yep. uh, the other thing is you do know they know what causes you to have five kids right like, <laughs> like, they know I, yeah the you science know is there man you like your wife too much <laughs> uh, my wife and i love kids uh the, the only yeah. thing is is that i i always thought that we were we had agreed to four and so we, after we had our fourth, I was like, cool, like, like, yeah, we're done. Right. And she was like, where'd the four come from? I thought we agreed to five. I was like, wow. Like clearly I missed something in the communication. Um, I, I, I drug my feet a little bit, but I'll tell you what, I'm glad I have that fifth little rug rat. He is a, he's a cute little guy. He's a keeper. And, uh. Yeah, he's a keeper. We will keep him. Um, the, maybe one of the older ones that you know kind of is going through a phase right now mm. could uh, could yeah. could go to somebody else for a time for a year or two. Um, but uh, no, we love them all and glad to have them. Yeah, congrats. <laughs> we we talked about yeah. having six. I come from a, a oh, large nice. family, and uh, we were like, yeah, we'll have six. And then we had our first one, and we were like, two feels right. <laughs> <laughs> we had two. That's it. So that's yeah, why no, Leo's actually on a hiatus from shooting. He they just had one not too long ago. So, oh man, good for you. Good yeah. for you. So he's got yeah, a four-year-old and a less than one-year-old. Yeah, they're Very all. Good. I mean, Very like you said, I I would not change that for the world. I love my boys, but they they make life exciting and expensive. Yes. So. Yes. <laughs> it's a blessing. So do you have anything, yeah. Leo? You want to add or? Any questions? No, I, I I thought it, yeah, no, it was good, and uh, I I hope that at some point we can have you back and uh, talk to you some more because you are obviously a a wealth and a fountain of knowledge, and yes. we always have questions, but we also know that people need to sleep, so you know, <laughs> especially with five All kids, good, you know, and a full time job, <laughs> crazy man. I I appreciate it. I'm happy to come back anytime, and I do appreciate uh, this opportunity and the honor of you guys having me on. It's oh, been thank fun. you. Awesome. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah.